Hi, you're listening to Knowledge Counts, a podcast of the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. I'm Wendy Hobbs. Today we're speaking with Cliff DeYoung about public safety around construction sites. Cliff, what happened that instigated the City of Calgary's new site safety rules? Well, what precipitated our uh, approach to protecting the public during construction uh, was a public fatality. Uh, so it was in August, uh, August long weekend of 2008, and uh, a family was walking to, uh, to the theater downtown uh, towards the Calgary Tower, and a construction site, uh, an active construction site, empty for the weekend, uh, had some loose uh, roofing material. An unpredicted windstorm came in from the north, and it was a, a big wall of wind that dislodged some uh, roofing material, and, uh, and, and the little girl died. And as well, her, her brother uh, was, was severely injured, as well as the father. So it was a horrific uh, event. Uh, we, uh, in, in building regulations, um, we believed that we had uh, the ability to investigate and potentially prosecute uh, the contractor for that, for that action, for that inaction, shall we say, for not maintaining a, a safe construction site. However, nobody on staff had ever done an investigation of, of certainly of that magnitude. So over, uh, over the course of, of weeks, uh, we discovered that we actually had a, an ex-Calgary police serviceman on staff, unbeknownst to us what his history really was, uh, and he became the lead investigator for that, for that file. And we did successfully prosecute that, the contractor in, in that instance, uh, but our fine levels were horrifically low. We were actually admonished by the judge on the case there was no other jurisdiction that was that was going to, or no other body that was going to uh, to investigate and, and potentially prosecute. The Calgary Police weren't. The Calgary Fire Department wasn't going to do it. Uh, Occupational Health and Safety. Everybody thought it was out, outside their their realm of responsibility. So we we took a chance in reviewing the building code, and really understood uh, much better. Of course, in the face of a tragedy. Uh, that we did have the ability to, to do that. We didn't have the skill set, though. So we did successfully prosecute. We did get the maximum fine level, which was $15,000. So the judge was visibly upset at that fine amount. Um, so we took it upon ourselves to create a, an entire program of increasing uh, the awareness of the importance of maintaining a safe site uh, and, and also to build up the skill set within our uh, within our own division, um, so it's been a it's been a journey. It's been a, a decade long journey as to you know improving safety. Uh, I, I I have to commend the construction industry for their response to not just that incident, but being receptive to our our efforts going forward. So that was the event that that really kicked it off for us. And her name was Michelle Kursik. Uh, there is actually. An award for the for the top uh, female student in uh, in in the construction program. Uh, it's a an annual two actually two awards uh, every year for uh, about fifteen hundred I believe. Uh, we took our fine revenue uh, from two thousand eleven, uh, which was just an accumulation over a few years of, of fines, successful fines, and dedicated a uh, a bursary in, in her name. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's resonated with uh, w- with us and really changed the way we look at our role. And the construction industry has been um, a huge driver. This, this just wouldn't have been possible, the changes that we've made, without, without a, a willing partner, essentially.
Why did the other parties pass on investigating this event? From a regulatory perspective, there's a section in, in the building code. It's, it's part eight of the Alberta building code, very thin part. And it is the component that says you must protect the public during construction. There's no how, but there's sort of altruistic statements uh, that thou shalt not, you know, impose harm upon the public during construction. Occupational health and safety, every single contractor out there is, is very well aware of OHS responsibilities. They've got binders on it. Within those binders, there are, again, altruistic statements about not doing harm to the public. Uh, so they didn't believe that they had the ability to do a prosecution uh, because the materials fell outside of the construction site, which seemed to us to be a little a little myopic on, on, on view because if those materials would have fallen inside the construction site, that would have been a, a hazard created for the workers. However, they fell outside the site, so OH&S uh, didn't feel that they'd have a successful ability to prosecute. On, for the Alberta Fire Code, there are no specific requirements regarding building materials, all kinds of things about fire safety. For the Calgary Police Department, uh, that was really uh, just outside, uh, you know, their their scope. You would have to essentially go after them, go after the contractor criminally, which of course is starting to change now with with some some changes in legislation at the federal level. But going after a contractor criminally meant you have to establish intent, and so the fire the police department really didn't feel that they were going to be successful either. So for us, we were the, sort of like the last man standing, um, and we firmly believed that, that somebody had to take a run at this. And so we, we took Part 8 of the Building Code and the Safety Codes Act and took some of these altruistic statements and decided that, you know, we, with the evidence that we had, uh, that we should be able to uh, have a, su a successful prosecution. And, and so we, it, it ran quite a lengthy time. They had, a, you know, obviously the, the contractor certainly had a, a skilled team of, uh, of, of lawyers. Uh, we had a small team uh, within our department, uh, one lawyer and, and one ex-cop uh, working as a building inspector were, were successful. Dave McKinnon was the, uh, the safety codes officer's name, the ex-police officer, uh, and really used a lot of creative energy to, to, really get this, to really get this done and skills that, you know, we just didn't have. So uh, that's, that's kind of the, the story of how we ended up being the, the authority trying to prosecute something that, quite frankly, hadn't been done in Canada. Why was the fine so small and what's changed since then? So the, the regulation is the Alberta Safety Codes Act. Uh, that's where the fine levels are, are dictated. So at the time, the maximum was $15,000 at the time of the incident. So there would be no retroactive ability, uh, certainly for the city. Uh, to go after. There could be civil suits and, and things like that that uh, the Kursik family would have been able to, to pursue. And our charge was really important for, for that civil suit. I have no idea what happened on that end, but I do know that there was, uh, there certainly was um, a case. So it was important to us to have a success so that that would inform the civil suit. So that was a primary reason, actually, why we kept going, acknowledging that you know, our fine of $15,000, I mean, really, uh, that's, a, that's a small cost of doing business, of having an unsafe construction site. So we lobbied the uh, provincial government to, to increase the fine levels to exactly, as you say, be more commensurate with 
OHS with Occupational Health and Safety Fund levels. Their their legislation would be two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a first offense, five hundred thousand for a second offense, with the prospect of jail time. And actually, I should mention, in the Safety Codes Act, we have six months to do an investigation and lay a charge. So when you don't have experience in investigating, and you're learning it as you go, uh, and you've got six months to put together a case and, and lay a charge, it, it's it's a short amount of time. Uh, so the Alberta government, they were receptive. They listened, and they gave us now two years to investigate and lay a charge, a $100,000 maximum first offense, and a $500,000 maximum second offense with the prospect of jail time. So close, um, I, I, I would advocate for, for a higher fine yet on that, on that first offense. Maximum of, of $100,000 is, you know, it is a deterrent, and it allows our prosecutor, when we are prosecuting other unsafe construction sites, the Cursic case, it's a maximum. So that $15,000, although it was only 15000 it was the maximum fine. So you can reference that as a, as a case. So whenever we're bringing forward a, a charge to the courts, you can reference that case. It was the maximum. It's equivalent to 100000 essentially. So that means that we do get higher fine levels for unsafe construction sites. So it, 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 does, it does act as, as somewhat of a, of a precedent for us. Um, when we are essentially prosecuting unsafe construction sites. What was the process for creating these new guidelines for the industry? Well, I think I'd, I'd have to say that Bob uh, Robinson uh, with Westcore uh, Construction, uh, he was the president of the, of the Calgary Construction Association at the time. He met with our chief building inspector, uh, Marco Civitaris, and together they, they said, you know what, as an industry, uh, we, we, we have to respond. This is not acceptable. So there is a full-on acknowledgement at the Calgary Construction Association level that things could change and they needed to change. Uh, Dave Smith was the, uh, was the president of the CCA at the time as well, and he was a big driving force too. So we had Bob Robinson and Dave Smith kind of helping us, you know, formulate the plan at the, at the time with Marco and uh, Kevin Griffiths uh, also should be, uh, should be named as somebody from the city end that, uh, that was working hard at, uh, at making some changes. So we, we established in the fall of, of 2008 uh, essentially what we called an on-site construction safety committee. What we ended up doing was we reviewed with, there was a thousand hours, or sorry, a thousand years of experience in a room for two days going over what are the top four safety concerns in the industry. And if I go back to Part 8 of the Building Code, right, it, it's a high-level kind of a document. It says, okay, you shall not, you know, impose safety hazards on the public. Well, what are those safety hazards? So we kind of tried to create a working document that would go along with Part 8 of the Building Code. So it was a, it was a pocket-sized, yellow, coil-bound little book. Uh, that we ended up producing with those thousand years of experience. And we had general contractors, we had crane operators, we had riggers, we had flagmen, we had all kinds of people with all kinds of experience to talk about, you know, what are the, what are the actual hazards on site and how then should we mitigate them? What would the best practices be? There were no best practices on essentially how do you keep the public safe? Lots of stuff for, for worker safety. Now the two are, are you know, closely linked. If you keep a site safe for the public, it, it would be better for the workers. So occupational health and safety was also at the table with us. So it was the Calgary Construction Association, 
uh, OHS was there, the city of Calgary. Alberta had uh, representation from their construction association as well. So the heavy road, you know, or sorry, heavy road, but the roads and bridges, you know, that sort of construction. So everybody recognized the issue, which was, I think, really, unfortunately, it was because of a fatality. And what that did, though, was that did create the impetus for everybody to be willing to work together. And, uh, and with the, the skills that the CCA brought to the table, we had uh, these separate sections that there was one chief author uh, for each section. So lifting and hoisting. Uh, that was, you know, a major, a major concern, obviously, with, with safety. So there was one chief author. They worked diligently at getting that section done. Uh, then there was securing materials. So another chief author would be dedicated to that one. So on and on it goes for, for all of the sections of our, what we called lovingly, the yellow book. Uh, and again, it was pocket-sized. So the intention was, was to create this, this user-friendly guide that articulated exactly what the issue was and also what, the, what, what essentially amounts to a best practice. There's new guidelines for different construction projects. Can you tell us about that? We've actually done a number of um, uh, publications with different uh, sectors, actually, of the of the construction industry. So we created uh, a guide for essentially commercial sites and you know larger uh, larger construction sites. We also created one for the residential industry, so single family homes, that sort of thing, because the risks are different depending on what kind of a site you're you're running. Uh, so we worked with um, what would be called now build. Um, it used to be called the Calgary Regional Home Building Association. Uh, so we worked with the uh, home builders to create a guide specific to their needs um, as well. So we, we kind of replicated the same, uh, the same process and created a guide more specific for residential construction. So we had the, uh, the more or less high-rise construction, the yellow book. Then we created a different guide for, for residential. Then we also worked with community associations and, and, and people about construction concerns for just the general public. We also created a, a, an advisory big sign, right? There's a big orange construction sign that, uh, that, that you have to have whenever you need a, a fenced site. If you have a, an open construction act- activity going on, you must have one of those big orange construction site information signs. And we worked with the, uh, the associations to, to detail, okay, what exactly should we be saying? We wanted to have a 24-hour line that people could call with concerns. So if there's an unsafe condition happening on site and it needs to be fixed, it is the, it's, it's the owner and the contractor's responsibility to get that fixed. And so that's a critical piece, actually, information for the public. So we wanted to communicate to the general public, here's... In, the, in this little guidebook for them, what you should be more tolerant of, right? Because there's a lot of complaints about construction. Construction is both necessary and annoying if you're living near it. It's a good sign of the, for the economy. It's a good sign for people's you know, interest in, in, in Calgary and, and keeping investment interest high in Calgary. You've got to have construction. Uh, as, a, as a person working in, in building regulations, I love seeing activity. I love seeing construction cranes and and workers, it's a good sign. Uh, however, if you're living near it, that can be disruptive and, and annoying. So uh, what we essentially wanted to do with the residential component and the community component was articulate what is a, an acceptable level. And anything beyond that, now you should probably call the city 
right? If there's if there's anything that really seems unsafe, you want to call at least three one one, if not nine one one, depending on the level of of infraction that's happening. If you've got falling tools from a construction site, that's a major major safety risk. Uh, there's you know all kinds of close calls that uh, we've investigated over the years that uh, you know that that resulted in prosecutions, successful ones, very high fine levels of now, but essentially. Um, it's trying to trying to get all parties of, at least aware of uh, construction site safety and, and that you can do something. It, it's not unreasonable to expect that a construction site will not cause uh, a safety issue for the, for the public down below. And again, it dovetails in with occupational health and safety and for the general public. When they're looking at a construction site, they're, you know, they're not really thinking about all of the detailed levels of what causes an issue they're just going, all right, should I be concerned? And so that's why the guide was created for, for them specifically too. When should you be concerned in calling the city? How are these guidelines made available to the public? We actually have a, um, on those big orange construction site signs, we have a QR code. Uh, so you can just scan that and it brings up the, you know, the suite of, uh, of documents that, that we have. So everything's you know, digital now. Of course, we have little booklets and, and things like that that we do have printed copies. So we make those available for the public whenever we're having engagement sessions uh, we'll usually have a, a booth that has you know uh, these these uh, documents available so we make them available in in hard copy we do presentations for community associations and for the general public about construction and uh, and then we make them available uh, online so we try to hit you know all of the and actually social media um, as well so whenever we get tweets and uh, Facebook comments and things like that about construction, we can then put a link in a response and, and get people to, to review the uh, w- one or more of those documents so that they can get a better understanding of what the city's doing and what our role is and what the public's role is too. What about other municipalities? Have any followed your lead on this? Well, we should probably fess up. Uh, we, we sort of borrowed uh, from the city of New York. We, in 2010, uh, we, we went to New York to uh, they are best in class when it when it comes to their enforcement of building code as it retain, pertains to public safety. So when we went to New York in, in 2010, they had a well-established program. So we, we sort of borrowed p- bits and pieces from, from their program. City of Chicago uh, also has a, has a very robust program. Interestingly, within Canada, we, we, we haven't found uh, a single other municipality that really looks to enforcing the Safety Codes Act in the way that, that we do. We understand that the city of Edmonton has uh, started up their own uh, kind of investigative team. And that's really the, uh, the strength of what we do is through the skill sets that the individual, essentially building inspector, having those individuals learn how to do a proper investigation, proper file, proper photos, interview techniques, um, all that sort of thing. So the city of Edmonton has uh, at least begun, if not established, a, a, a unit that is similar to, to the city of Calgary. So in the city of Calgary, we have what we call a safety response unit, and those are individuals that have the, uh, you know, the skill sets that, that are required to actually conduct a, a proper investigation. Uh, but yeah, within Canada, it's, it's, it's much slower coming. There certainly are incidents. We, we're well aware of a number of, of incidents um, in other jurisdictions, but um, we don't we don't see a lot of activity in this in this type of investigative techniques. And when we go to conferences, it's 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 still considered new. Unfortunately, 
uh, I think it's it, it requires a high-profile incident for a community is ready to take that action. And without a, an existing connection between the authority and the contracting associations, um, you're going to have a tougher time. So we've always prided ourselves on having a positive relationship with the contracting community, and I think that's one of the reasons that we were able to... Um, uh, to really make a significant change was through the established relationship. It's pretty tough to forge a relationship in the face of a tragedy. You know, you'll probably establish positions um, well before you start talking about solutions. So uh, we didn't have that issue in, in the city of Calgary. And, uh, and I suspect that it's probably different in other jurisdictions. Otherwise, we would have seen other juris- jurisdictions actually make some changes in this regard. What would you consider to be the most important outcome of all of this? Most definitely, the, the most important outcome from everything that, that has been done is we, we require for high buildings in the city of Calgary uh, that a contractor has to submit uh, a public protection site safety plan. Now, that is something that we borrowed from New York, uh, where they require the contractors to identify how are you going to keep the public safe. So everything sort of trickles down from, okay, building code is very high level, thou shalt not impact the public. Then we get to our yellow book, which articulates best practices on how you would keep the public safe, that part eight piece. And then we translate the yellow book, the, the best practices, into a plan. So it's, a, it's a, on sheets of paper. How are you going to actually make sure that you adhere to the best practices? So we review that as part of a building permit application. And then we, we, we won't issue the building permit without you know, our issues or our concerns being satisfied. So that's a key piece of, um, of, our, of our permit review. And then we also do, uh, do inspections on site to make sure that the plan is being adhered to. So there's, a, there's an acknowledgement right up front from the contractor how they're going to do it. And this is different for every contractor that we interact with people coming in from Vancouver or Toronto, you know, we usually, you know, get a, a kind of a, a funny look as to what it, what it is we're asking for. Uh, but we've got lots of information out on our website so we can point people to uh, interactive videos even of, of how you would design a plan to, to address these issues. And that's a, a key component. So then we're having discussions with, you know, the designers of the, of the project on public safety. And that's getting right to the level of the general contractor. We have on-site meetings with the, the contractor and all the sub-trades before they start building, well, after they get to grade, right, after they've um, finished with the, uh, the excavation and, and basically brought the building up to grade. We have an on-site meeting with, uh, with our, so ourselves are there, Calgary Fire is there, uh, bylaw, any other OHNS uh, potentially could be there as well. And we have uh, a coordinated meeting where we talk about uh, the, the importance of the plan and, and adhering to the plan. Uh, so that, to me, is the, uh, is the, is the real key uh, to, the whole, uh, to the whole program. Uh, I should also mention that the, the, we have an advanced wind forecasting system. That was something identified by contractors that in the city of Calgary, we do have some pretty wild weather. We do get these unanticipated heavy winds. And the contractors as a group said, you know, it'd be great if we could somehow have uh, advanced notice, notification of these of these windstorms, the, 
the windstorm that generated the, the fatality uh, in Michelle Kersick's case was one of those unanticipated windstorms. In fact, that w same windstorm knocked over a, uh, a soundstage at a festival, a music festival in Alberta, caused two fatalities, that same windstorm. So it became uh, a focus of ours at the City of Calgary, funded by the contractors. We actually generated a, um, a, a request for proposals to see if somebody could bring to us a wind forecasting system that would give us advanced notification of a pending windstorm so that people could essentially batten down the hatches and, uh, and make their site safe. So not only did we get a, a contractor, RWDI is a bunch of local scientists. Uh, they make their bread and butter by essentially designing cladding systems for tall buildings, but they also do wind forecasting, or well, weather forecasting, but the, our specific focus was, was wind. They, get, they provided to us uh, not only advance notification 48 hours out, uh, where you've got an hourly predicted maximum wind gust, a three-second burst of wind is, is essentially enough to pick up a piece of uh, sheet metal and send it sailing at about 70 kilometers an hour if it's not battened down uh, properly. So very important to get an understanding, especially at height, uh, as to what's the expected wind environment. So they provided to us uh, advanced notification on a 48-hour kind of basis. It's also site-specific. So it is because they have a model, because their bread and butter is to do building cladding systems. And they've got a ton of clients in the city of Calgary, so they've got a model of the downtown of the city of Calgary. And they can actually spin it around. It's on a disc, and they can spin it around in their, in their facility in Ontario, uh, and they can send, you know, it's a wind tunnel. So they can look at what is, what, what are the, uh, I'm going to get this, the, the, the terms wrong, but, you know, the wind pattern changes when it comes around a building. So a building behind another building that's upwind, uh, depending on the direction of the wind, is going to see accelerated wind. So it depends on the, the direction of the wind and the, the speed of the wind, what is going to be happening to each individual building. So the forecast is site-specific and height-specific. So during construction, you can actually be advising a contractor what is your expected wind speed 48 hours out for your site? So it, it's been a, a hugely valuable tool. The contractors were, were very excited about it because they can then plan high-risk lifts around expected wind speeds. Now, it's not 100% accurate, uh, and we're always looking to, to improve its accuracy, but it does provide a, uh, a pretty good barometer of uh, you know, what what and when a contractor should be doing. So if you're, if you're planning to take your crane down, your construction crane down, uh, you should be looking at that wind forecast because if you get caught halfway down, your, your, your boom is going to be swinging in the wind, uh, smashing against your building, and uh, you know, you're going to have shards of glass coming down to the, to the street below. That's just one example of, of how it, it benefits a construction site. Existing buildings, it is, it, once you do the, the calculations, it's, it's set up in the system. So a building owner, we've got several building owners who use it for just as simple as planning out when you're going to have window washers out. So they'll actually have contracted out, okay, I'm going to have window washing happen, you know, tomorrow. And they'll get up in the morning and look at their wind forecast and say, no, nope, not today. 
the wind predicted for you know two o'clock is too high it's too high risk I'll, I'll get it done another day so the 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 trick is is really to avoid the risk in the first place um, because once you're once you're up there it's pretty tough you know right in the middle of a of a windstorm uh, to be able to um, you know to avoid any any serious issues so it works for existing buildings and for uh, for new proposed buildings and it is absolutely a unique product that uh, was created for the city of Calgary um, other cities have looked at it but again because of our relationship with the contracting community they, they paid for it we did the RFP and we ran the contract and instituted it and and have implemented it but we didn't pay for it contractors did so without having that relationship the contracting community again the jurisdiction is going to have a hard time coming up with uh, money's tight everywhere uh, so a, a city is going to have a hard time coming up with the money to to do something like that. You have to have everybody on board, and uh, it starts with a with a positive relationship. So that's what that's what I would say are the are the key things: our, our public protection site safety plan, the wind forecasting system, and uh, and the positive relationship with um, uh, with the contracting community and the authority having jurisdiction. It sounds like the wind predictor could help save the contractors money. Is that accurate? That that's you're you're exactly right. The the contracting community has, I mean, anecdotally, we're, right? We don't have any hard data, uh, I, I suppose, to to support it. But anecdotally, contractors have told us that they do avoid um, costly errors, right? Where you where you do have an incident or you have to stop a lift uh, or whatever it is that you've planned for that day by by two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, a general contractor knows exactly what the next day is going to look like. So they're planning it out based on information that they have. Part of that information comes from the wind forecasting system. So they're able to plan out effectively and have you know less downtime essentially uh, because of the of the wind forecasting system. So it's a it's a very valuable tool. I think that there are there there's lots of lots of people that uh, that have acknowledged uh, its its value in the in in the whole process. So yeah, it it can be a, a big cost savings for sure. What's the city most proud of about these guidelines? I think what we're most proud of uh, at, at the city is the reduction in incidents. It's, it's very difficult to, to kind of, when you don't measure something, it's very difficult to actually say you've actually had success, right? So we didn't have a good baseline, right? We didn't ever measure things that, that, that happened. So now we're measuring things that didn't happen in the first place. So it's hard to it's hard to actually you know fully quantify which i think is part of the reason that other jurisdictions would have a hard time saying yeah we're going to go down this road it's got clear success and you know that so if we have fewer incidents than we used to if another jurisdiction doesn't even measure it right they're not going to have a clear way of saying yep this is important and we measured it and look we've got success so i think it's it's a really important aspect for other jurisdictions to consider who is going to manage construction site safety for the public? And if it's not an issue, um, that, that, or if they think it's not an issue, it, it probably is. The construction sites are inherently hazardous. Uh, there are, OH&S would, would, would have all of the statistics to back that up. And it's only by virtue sometimes of luck that, that members of the public are not actually injured. Uh, we've got tons of cases even today after all of the work that we've done things still do happen but again if a jurisdiction doesn't doesn't measure 
what what is happening today they're not going to have an idea of how they can improve and what the value would be of going down this road it's a it's a major undertaking it's taken us more than a decade to get to 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 where we are we think we've had really good success over the course of the of the years because we have quite honestly our prosecutions are way down this is a good thing you know our, our objective is not to you know find people into oblivion um, it's to create a safer construction environment and uh, and we do see way fewer prosecutions so um, I think that's that's a real that's a real positive uh, sign for the for the city of Calgary and and I think a, a testament to um, to the team that we to the, that we put together and and developing the skill set as well it, it it will show huge dividends and again for us the the focus was there because of the because of a tragedy so you shouldn't have to wait um, for for a tragedy like that but it happened and uh, we're really proud of uh, the way that the community uh, and when I say community I mean the the contracting community um, and the city of Calgary responded as a as a cohesive unit and OHS as well right they brought a huge uh, perspective to the table. So I think the thing that we that we would that we would say is whenever you're faced with a, a wicked problem and a complex problem, uh, that's when you have to rely on your positive relationships and 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 really come together. Uh, there is no way that the city of Calgary could have solved it, and it's an ongoing thing. It's not it's not you know it's never going to be 100 uh, percent, but it's way 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 better than it ever was. But yeah, it's 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 so important to have those positive relationships so that when something does happen, um, you're able to get together and you can rely on each other and you can trust each other to uh, have the best interest in the, for the community at heart. Thanks to Cliff DeYoung for talking to us today about the City of Calgary's initiatives around public safety at construction sites. For Knowledge Counts, I'm Wendy Hobbs.